Welcome to the Grace Life Podcast, hosted by Grace Life Church in Alabama. We're glad you've taken a moment to listen today. If you'd like to get in contact with us, our Facebook page and our website are linked in the show notes. We believe as you listen to the Word of God today that you will be blessed and that your life will be changed. Let's join the service already in progress in the sanctuary with Pastor West. You know, sometimes life can get so complicated and busy. In the pull of life and that we sometimes forget a very simple message like this one here that just reminds us all we need to know is he's good. That he's good. Notice there wasn't a Hebrew word that needed to come out. Something in the Greek did not need to be explained. You didn't need a harp. You just needed to hear a simple message that God is good and he's good all the time. Come on, let's lift our hands before we see. Father, we just worship you this morning. Give glory and honor to you. You are good, and you are always good. Oh, come on, church. <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Sometimes the Bible says it's it's right thing to stir the gift of God up that's within you. Takes a little effort to stir. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. You are good. You are so very good. We honor your name. We bless the wonderful name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just the mention of his name. You are glorious in all of your ways. And we praise you and exalt you. Mighty Jesus. Glory be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've got several gone today here and there and about. And uh, we want to pray this morning for just a moment. Julie's uh, uh, on the route to take Matt to the airport and to meet up with uh, the team to go to Peru. Amen. I think there's uh, 10 or 12 of them going. So we know it'll be a prosperous trip. Amen. We've, we've uh, invested into that trip. Uh, and... Uh, we just believe it'll be successful. It'll be a safe journey. So let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for, for uh, the team as they go uh, with uh, Evangelist C and Pastor Matt and all the others that are going on this trip, Father God, to bring light, light to, to uh, the people in Peru on Mount Cusco. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that their footsteps are ordered. We thank you, Father God, that they are anointed to speak to preach and to teach your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that physical needs are being met that will help people and change lives. But more importantly than that, Father God, we thank you, Lord, that they're bringing light into a dark place. Darkness cannot overtake the light, and light will extinguish the very darkest parts of that region. We thank you for signs, wonders, and miracles and demonstrations of your love and of your power. We thank you, Lord, for traveling grace to and from. We thank you, Father God, that will be that your hand is upon each one. And we thank you, Lord, for salvations. And we thank you, Lord, that the lives of the people will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise amen. God. Well, happy Sunday. Amen. How are y'all? Amen. Y'all looking good. Amen. Let me say, yeah, you still look good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, Colossians chapter 3. 
we'll give you a testimony in a few weeks. It's not my testimony. I was just involved in prayer uh, concerning the trip. Two things that happened that needed to happen on the, the trip to Peru. And uh, one of them was a really, really big deal. And uh, anyway, we'll share that with you. We'll ask them to share it. Colossians chapter 3. How many love the Word? Amen. If you don't, you don't want to go to heaven. You're going to get a lot of it. You know, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus is the Word. Amen. didn't say He knows some Word. He, he is the Word, right? Amen. I mean, He doesn't know the Bible. He, he, he is the Bible. Amen. I always think about, you know, you read over in Revelations, there'll be a time where we're all in heaven. It paints the picture where Jesus comes and, and He opens the seals and He's the only one worthy to do it. And he's the only one who can read of the seals. It says people of every nation, of every kindred, and we're all seated around. And he is the teacher of all teachers. He is the rabbi of all rabbis. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he will open the book. And the book is of him and about him. And the Bible said he is the word, right? And he will read the word. I wonder what it will look like for the word to read the word. Remember when Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who, who do men, he said, you're out there. What's the talk in town? He said, well, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, you know, he said, don't tell me. He said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. He said, well, I'm not him. Some say, well, you're John. He said, no, I'm not him. Some say you think you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets that come back. He said, well, that, that's not right. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And they all got quiet. And of course, the other one who would speak is the one who always spoke. And sometimes when you speak too much and too long, you get yourself in trouble. You know, <clears throat> Brother Hagin used to say this. He said, if you just keep your mouth shut a lot of times, you look a lot smarter than what you are. <laughs> How many, have you, like me, has ever said something you wish you hadn't said, but then it's out and it's like, ooh, there it is. <clears throat> and, uh, and so, uh, but Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And he was dead on. Amen. Or he was live on. And so he spoke those words and Jesus says, that's right. He says, but you didn't learn that at the university. He said, you didn't read it in a book. He said, it came from revelation from heaven. It was revealed to you from the Father himself to you. God's still in the revelation business. Did you know that? And he still reveals to people who has hearts to, want to hear and who are receptive to him. Now, you can be on, you can be off because just a few more verses later, Jesus had to rebuke the very man who had the revelation. Because Jesus said he foretold of his death and, and Peter took Jesus to the side to rebuke him. I'm going to say that's kind of dumb. But anyway, <laughs> can you imagine having that kind of revelation and then you pull Jesus to the side to rebuke him? Don't rebuke Jesus. Anyway, so, and, and, and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, how would you like to be called Satan? Now, I've been called a lot of things. I've been called more things in the ministry than I've ever was called outside the ministry. And they talk about you and your mama. But anyway, that's all right because I, I understand the source of what it comes because the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. So if you've got thin skin, never go into ministry. If you think it's easy, never go into ministry. If you think it's a one hour or two hour week deal, don't ever go into ministry. If you can do anything and be happy, do not go into ministry. If you want to be misunderstood, go into ministry. If you want to be talked about, go into ministry. If you need to be patted on the back all the time and you need someone to lift you up all the time, tell you how wonderful you are, do not go into ministry. You're just not tough enough for that. Amen. So it takes a tough skin. And, and leaders lead when people don't want to be led. 
So there's shepherds and then there's under shepherds. And thank God we all have them. But, you know, um, here we're, we want to talk about the, the chief shepherd. And in Colossians chapter 3, it tells us, verse 1, he says, If you've been risen with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. So if we, how many know where Christ is right now? It tells us right here. Where, where's he at? He's on the right hand of God. And when you have loved ones that who's already gone on and they're and they're born again, do you know where they are? I'm not trying to, you know, not trying to mess with words. People say, "Well, I lost my so and so." Really, lost doesn't mean you don't know where they are. So if you've quote lost a loved one, uh, uh, and and they're with Christ, and you know they are, they're not lost. Where are they at? With Him in heaven. Now, uh, on the on the worst of days, or I say it this way: the best day on earth can't even stack up to a one day of heaven. I, I want to say the worst day of heaven, but there's not a worse day. So it's, it's, it's always promotion. So he said, Christ is above. He sits on the right hand of God. And then he tells us, gives us instructions to set your affections or set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, earth will keep you occupied. If you if you just do earthly things, you'll live your life and you and you'll go and no one and hardly no one but those maybe of your immediate family will ever know that you was here. Right. How many of you want to make a mark while you're here? Amen. Four of you. Uh, how many of you want to pray for these four that want to make a mark? <laughs> <laughs> now seriously, how, how many of you want to make a mark in heaven? Yeah. And so uh, I, was, I was talking to Dennis about this years ago, and I want to do it sometimes because it just helps us to see this. Sometimes, but I saw this done actually in a business meeting, and it was talking about you know I was in my twenties, which is just a little while back, and uh, <clears throat> you know those years come and go. It's not like a yo-yo; you can go eighteen and back. Now, of course, I wouldn't want to be eighteen again. I didn't have any sense. But anyway, uh, you know, God really never used anyone to do nothing serious to about seventy-five because they didn't have any sense. In other words, He couldn't trust them. Moses thought he could jump into it at 40, but he was, he was still hooked on himself. And, uh, but anyway, um, so what was I talking about? That's your job, Michelle. Huh? Making a mark. Yes, that's right. Making a mark. Hallelujah. Huh? Business meeting. Thank you very much. I'll take you to eat somewhere today. So, had a tape measure. And it gave us uh, the average lifespan of a person on earth, not on earth, in the United States. And I don't mean this to depress anyone, but, but uh, it's more effective if you actually have a tape measure. So um, depending on, you know, when you Google this, who you, who you believe, uh, medical science has helped us to live two or three years longer. Of course, they might have 47 wires hooked into you to do it, but I mean, but they, they prolonged your life a little bit longer. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking with someone the other day, and they said, if I knew I was going to live this long, I'd have saved more money. I said, well, I, I can get it. I mean, just, <laughs> I wasn't planning on being here. And uh, I was thinking about Miss Fry's, uh, Miss uh, Isora. You know, she's in heaven now. She, she outlived both of her children, and then she was left with her son-in-law. That takes a real love. And, he, and she was 102. And so <clears throat> I asked her, would she pray for me? And she was 100 or 101 at the time. And she said, what do you want me to pray for? And, and uh, I said, well, just pray for longevity of life and purpose. Because I knew she believed that. Amen. And I said, you got any advice? She said, yeah. She said, take what you do seriously, but don't, don't take yourself seriously. She was an educator by trade. 
and uh, was a school teacher for a number of years. She said, in other words, I know you're serious about what you do, but don't take yourself too seriously. And she said, every time you see worry or frustration come, do everything you can to get rid of it. Cast the care upon the Lord. She said, if you have to do it 700 times a day. The way, the, way I, the way I do that, Michelle and I do that, if I feel the care coming on, I'm headed to a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> or Longhorns or somewhere like that. So, uh, <laughs> so bring some guacamole. Guacamole is supposed to be good for stress, too. It's like mm, cheese dip and all that. Someone said, uh, that's not good for you. <laughs> so I, I feel stress coming. <laughs> so I just, I, I, I'm, a good, I'm learning to be a good caster. And if you don't cast, you'll hold it in. And people who hold things in and they worry a lot, you know, if you know your your posture will change. Even the way that you stand, you'll you'll begin to be slumped over. And I'm still believing to be six three. So if I worry too much, I'll go from five ten. Now one day I'll be four seven, and I don't <laughs> I don't want to be that. If I could be six three tomorrow, I don't need to lose any more weight. You say what? Well, you can't do that. Well, I'm it's, it's my you know I'm not wasting your time. I'm just believing. And. Uh, you know, I believe I'm still a growing boy this way. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I would ask you where we was at, but I, I think I ruined it for all of us. But Colossians, you know, chapter 3, he said, put your mind on things on the earth. Uh, look at verse 3. You're dead. Oh, so the tape measure, right? Okay, that's where we're. So the tape measure, if you... <laughs> see, I haven't had... Uh, I haven't had sugar for six weeks. <laughs> and I did lose some weight, and I'm still losing weight, but sugar helps me sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so you, you take a tape measure, and I think uh, males somewhere around 78 to 80, and uh, used to be 74, and then uh, females live a year or two longer, uh, statistically, in the United States. If you ever want to break down uh, the United States by longevity of life in the United States, Mississippi uh, is last. Alabama's next to last as far as longevity. But it's because we, how we eat. We like grease and sugar and fat. We, we like all the stuff. And we like all the breads and all that. Can I get an amen? <laughs> <laughs> You know, Hershey's syrup is just not as good on broccoli as it is on ice cream. It just, it's just not. That's one reason, that's one good perk of going to heaven. I don't think you can gain weight. And like you can't clog any arteries. Isn't that cool? I'm going. If for no other reason than that, I'm going. <laughs> There's just no good benefit to going to hell. You can get barbecue in heaven without going to hell. Because everything in hell, be, it'll be past well done. So anyway, moving right along. So... You take this tape measure and you cut it off at about, just say, the full length 80. Now we know there's people who live way beyond that, but we're just talking statistically. If you get in a, in a room of 50 to 100 people or more, and uh, especially like in a church, the average in this church age would be probably somewhere near 36 to 40, taking into account of all ages. So if you look at a tape measure, it'd be more effective if I had one. It was 80 years of age, and then you were to take the the average age of the people that you're talking to, it would be 40. So you, you would get a picture of taking some 10 snips and you'd go from 80 to 40. Now you'd be hoping to take measure this long instead of what, you know, this long, right? And, and then you'd have to take the, what you do in life, which, which means, and I know this changes with s some people, but 
statistically, we're supposed to sleep eight hours a day. Some of you don't sleep that, some of you uh, sleep twice that, but anyway, <laughs> you know. But eight hours a day, so that's a third, a third of your day or a third of your life that you sleep away. True? So if you take eight years, so you got 40 years left, and if you take eight hours a day, every day, and you do that for the remaining years, then you cut off a third of 40. Now, who's good at math? 13 point something more years, right? So you cut that off and now you're down with 20 something. Now your tape measure is like this. But you know, if you work, then you're going to work eight hours, and then you're, you're getting ready for work and you're showering and then you're shopping and then you're uh, doing for the kids and you're, you're doing life and you're cutting grass and you're getting your toenails. My wife said, I'm going to get my nails did. I said, she's going to go get her nails did. And then you cut that off. And so with the things of in church and being involved in things where he says, set your mind on things above, it, it leaves about that much. And we're not really trying to add nothing into it. We're just taking out, you got to sleep, you got to shower, hopefully you got to shower and do some things. And you know, you got to pet the dog and wash the cat or, well, that's kind of hard, but anyway. So these other, the, these other things that have eternal value, you're holding a tape measure about like this. Yes. The, the depressing thing is that was if you were sitting in the congregation and you was 40. So, if you're not, you say, hurry up, Pastor. I got, yeah, I got something I got to do to get through. Well, you, you see how much life competes, the world competes for you. Right. And the only thing that you're going to take into heaven that has eternal value is, is people. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, right. your, your talent, if you're, if you're good at tennis, that's not really going with you. Although I guess you can play tennis in heaven, but that's, that has no eternal value. So we do, we do a lot of things in life that are really are non-essentials that have zero turn of value. Zero. And so every time we can have a chance to get together to talk about the Word, we should do this. We, we should. And, uh, and talk about who we are and what we have and what we can do in Him. Those things are valuable. Because we're talking about the Word and we're talking about Jesus. And so uh, he, he says, set your affection or your mind on those things. You're, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. The, the reason why there's problems is that the scripture says as a believer that you're dead, but many people have not allowed themselves to die. They're still a living sacrifice on the altar. <laughs> and someone, they need to allow themselves to be killed. They're still moving around. And until you're dead, you'll never be happy because you'll always be looking for something to satisfy that thing, that one more thing or that person. Right. See, some people are looking for the person to make them happy. That never works. In this country, it's sad to say, but in this country, even among Christians, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I've only come to a place now to where I only marry people who are part of the church. And I hate to say this, but my record, my record was really good in the beginning, but... Now, it's, it's not that good anymore. Most everyone I marry, I hate to say this, but you know, it, they, they haven't stayed together. And so I said, if I can't, if I'm, if I'm not, a, if you didn't grow up with this and I'm not a part of this, or I can't have any input and I can't be there to counsel with you, I just, you know, you can go to someone who has license. I don't want to do, put people together and can't speak anything into their lives. 
I have a, a friend of mine, no, a family member of mine, and he was young and, <clears throat> and a close family member. And he said, would you marry us? And I said, well, uh, I, I don't think I, you know, I, I would like to, but I'm not really doing this. And I, you can go here and go there. He doesn't live here, he lives somewhere else. And uh, so he, uh, but I gave him some books. And uh, I'm not used to young people reading books. Well, actually, young people generally do read books, especially if they're in school or they have aspirations to, you know, I mean, I used to hate to read, then I knew I was called to ministry, and I couldn't see no way out of that. I thought, I bet you got to read if you're in ministry. So I just decided I was just going to have to learn to like it. And now it's what I do most of the time. It's, it's amazing that whatever you give your attention to will become your desire. The world tells you the other way, whatever your desire is, that's where your attention will go. But I'm telling you, you can change all that by just saying, this right here is what I'm going after. And then that habit will be changed. So I asked this individual, I said, uh, who I knew they had went to a technical school. I said, how long did you go to be a mechanic? <clears throat> and he said, well, I went two years here, and then I went a year over here, and I got one more year over here if I want this type of you know, degree to be able to do this kind of work. I said, so all together about four years. <clears throat> and I said, how long do you expect to be a mechanic? He said, well, I ho hopefully Terra retires. I said, do you want to be successful? He said, well, absolutely. And I said, well, I think as a mechanic, you'll per periodically have to go back to school because technology changes so much. I mean, no, no one, no one, hardly anyone works on a car brand in a car anymore. I mean, we used to talk, we're going to put a kid in. There's no more kids. You're not doing that. I mean, your, your car has just has become a computer. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And so uh, hardly anyone works on it anymore. So that's why people buy insurance even to buy new cars because at a rate of about $140 an hour to take to the shop, you don't have to have money problems for you. You just spent two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 on a car. And so uh, he said, well, I hope to be successful. And I said, so... You've schooled for this? And I said, I guess you had a lot of studies. Oh, yeah, a lot of tests, lots of tests. And so I said, so now you get married? He said, yeah. I said, uh, <clears throat> so I said, I guess the two of you loved you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, well, how long do you plan on being married? He said, well, forever. I said, well, okay. I said, what do you know about it? He said, no, about what? I said, being married. Because see, <laughs> after every wedding, there comes a marriage. That's a book. An old book. And he said, well, forever. And I said, so what do you know about marriage? What do you know about relationships? What do you know about your wife? What do you know about, her, about w women? And he said, well, I said, you know nothing, son. I don't know anything, so I know you don't know anything. <laughs> if I know nothing, you know marriage. <laughs> and uh, I said, do you know what God said? Do you, do you know the recipe for success for marriage in the Word? He says, no. I said, you mean to tell me? I said, so I go down to this grocery list of people. I said, so if you went to a restaurant, they don't know why. They don't know why, but every other person that goes there gets poisoned. I said, would you go eat there? Would y'all? No. We don't know why, but every other person gets poisoned. If you go to a doctor, you go to a dentist, and he doesn't know why, but you just go, whether you clean your teeth or fill in the tooth or whatever it is, you go there. But every other person, their teeth falls out after three days. Would you go there? You wouldn't go there? How about a guy who builds a house? He's supposed to be a wonderful builder, has built some very beautiful homes, but he doesn't know why, but within the first six months, every other house he builds crumbles to the ground overnight. Do you want him to build your house? How about every mechanic who, who works on your car, doesn't know why, he's supposed to be a really good mechanic, but every other car he works on, while you're driving, it catches on fire on the interstate. Will you take it to him? Every other marriages fail and no one wants to know anything about it.
And I'm not interested in putting people together that knows nothing. Would you? So he read three books. That's like, he said, this is amazing. He said, I, I needed to know that. I said, yeah, you did. <laughs> and he's done very well, and I didn't marry him. But sometimes information can help you. Yes. Right. Uh, did, anyone, did anyone take a class in school? Maybe they do now. But in school, did they give you a class on how to keep a checkbook? No. Most people leave school, college, never have been taught even how to keep a register in a checkbook or, or to make a budget. They don't do that, right? And the credit card offers come piling in, and you got someone through school, and they owe ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and they haven't got in the workforce yet. That's terrible, right? So we haven't taught people how to think, right? And then we just throw them into life. It's just not fair. So there are things about life that we do need to understand, but you shouldn't use all your life to just to live the life that you're living. You're going to have ball game, and you're going to have this and that, and you know we're going to do roses and all that kind of stuff and ch children and grandchildren and go to ball games and all that kind of stuff. But most of that is kind of the things of life. But what are you, do what are you doing? What are you going to do that's going to make a mark for the kingdom? Because this is about kingdom. Yes. Church was mentioned twice in the New Testament. The kingdom is mentioned dozens of times. So what are we going to do about the kingdom? Now, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians 1, that was the appetizer. Paul prayed a prayer in Ephesians. Actually, there's recorded two prayers. One's in Ephesians 1, the other one's in Ephesians chapter 3. He prayed these prayers, the same prayers in other churches, Colossians, in uh, other places that he went. And uh, this epistle or letter contains the words that Paul prayed according to King James. King James is the Bible that Jesus used, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Someone's like, he did, didn't he? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, we'll cover that in another lesson. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prayed, and I'm going to read really quickly. He said, Paul prayed, uh, Verse 16, he said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to you, to us who believe according to the working of this mighty power which he wrought or is displayed in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, where? In the heavenly places. Now we already knew that from, the, from, uh, from Colossians 3, that we knew he was sitting in heavenly places on the right hand side of God. Now we see he's here again. He is set in the heavenly places. Now this is his seat of authority. Right. True? Now, <clears throat> so from his perspective, look at verse 21. Where Christ is seated, he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also but that which is to come. And, he, and from the seat, all things have been put under his feet. That makes him, number one, uno, right? He's, he's not above principality and power or dominion. He's far above it. Can you, can you say it with me? Say far above. Far above. Say not above. Not above. 
far above. And hath put not some things, but all things under his feet. And he has gave, gave him, Jesus, to be the head over what? All things, not some things, not every other thing, but all things to the church. Who's the church? Well, we are, right? And it, we know that because the verse, next verse says, which is the church, which is his body. And in this body is the fullness of him. Amen. Not the half fullness of him, but the fullness of him. So if someone tells you you're full of it, that's scriptural. <laughs> just, I don't, depends on what they're saying, you know, I mean, just, you know, just put your own little definition there. Say, you're right, I am full of it. You're supposed to be full of it. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Uh, now, verse or chapter two, and I'm going to hook this up with, with chapter one, talks about, well, we'll just start verse one. You have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, talking about when we were lost without Christ. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Also, we had our conversation, which just means your manner of life or your behavior, in the lust of your flesh. You were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature, you were by nature, that your nature was to be a child of wrath. That was your nature. Before you were born again, you were a child of wrath. So I said, I don't like that. Well, there it is. Huh? That's, that's before, right? But now that we've been born again, we've been translated out of the kingdom of wrath, of darkness, and into the kingdom of his dear son, the light, right? Now watch verse 4. But God, who's rich in mercy, thank God for that. For his great love with her, he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made you alive together with Christ. Uh, by every good thing that you do, you are saved. Oh, it doesn't say that. By what now? By grace you are saved, right? Now watch here. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavy places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, uh, uh, I don't know if your Bible is this way, but I can see both at one time. Uh, keep your uh, opening to First Ephesians chapter 1. And let's go back to verse Ephesians 1. Let's go back to um, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the work of His mighty power? Verse 20, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and, and did what? He seated him or set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So once again, where, where is Jesus? And he's in what position? Seated. Can you see that's how a king would rule? Right. Even in natural things like the Congress or the Senate, you hear they have a seat. The representatives have a seat or a congressman has a seat, which they are uh, elected, uh, you know, to <clears throat> the Congress or the Senate. And we send them there. That is their seat. That is where they'll conduct the business for our interest, for the state in which they are elected. And so here we see that Jesus is seated in authority for the whole entire universe. Amen. Right? right? Where he's far above. Yes. Now, Hook that up with Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians 2, 6. 
and has raised him up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 20, he has set him on the right hand of God. Ephesians 2, 6, and hath raised you up together and made you sit together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, he raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand. He's in heavenly places. Where are you? And hath raised you up together and seated you together with him. Positionally speaking, where are you? You're in him and you are seated with him. If you're seated with him where he's at in heavenly places, then you are far above all principality, power and might and dominion and everything that's named. Amen. So what is our excuse? Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to read from the Amplified if you can prepare that. Hebrews 1, and we'll start in verse 1. In many separate revelations, each of what set forth a portion of the truth. In different ways, God spoke of old to our forefathers by the prophets. But in the last days, well, we weren't there for the first days, right? So if it's not the first days, it must be the last days. That's deep in it. <laughs> if you're not in, if you're graduating, you're not in the first grade getting started. You're in the, the, the last of the school days, right? Verse two, but in the last days, he has spoken to us in the person of a son, as opposed to speaking by the prophet. See, they, they, uh, verse 1 said that God spoke to us through the prophetical voice, still does, but through the office and ministry of a prophet. They had a portion of revelation, but they didn't have it all. Right. They only knew what God told them. If you, if you wanted to know what God was doing in the Old Covenant, you'd have to go to the prophet and say, what does, what is, what's up with God? What is God saying? What is God doing? And they only could tell you what he had revealed to them. They, they, really, didn't, they really didn't know themselves. All they had is what they had. And so they've been given a portion of the truth. Jesus doesn't have a portion of the truth. He has all truth. Let me, let me rephrase that. He is the truth. Amen. See, we're learning from him truth. But he is truth. He is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus spoke plainly one time to his disciples, and they said, finally, you speak to us plainly, not in Proverbs. And they went on to say, one translation says, so we can now see. You know everything, and you don't need us to tell you anything. <laughs> he really doesn't need our advice. But he loves your fellowship. You know, sometimes he just wants to know, will you follow me with all of your heart when you can't understand me with any of your mind? Because it looks like the way that you're going, it's not going to come to a, uh, to a place that you would desire to go. It doesn't look like it's working out the way that you're hoping it's going to go or that you're praying it's going to go. 
but he's asking you for your heart and not your head. Right. Will you trust me with all of your heart and don't lean to your understanding and let me order your footsteps and take you the way that I want you to go, regardless of what you can and cannot see. <clears throat> I've said this through the years. Uh, uh, Joe Osteen's dad, name was John, and I miss him. And I enjoy, I enjoy seeing him in heaven. But John Osteen made a statement one time at his last minister's conference before he passed in the year 2000. And we'd only been there one time. I was instructed to go. And so we were there, and I heard Pastor Osteen, John Osteen, the father, say this. It was so simple. And he says, I'm going to say something, but it'll be so simple. Just go, Shh. He said, in all the years of life in ministry, here's, he said, here's what, one of the deepest truths I've ever come to know about God and the Word and pastoring and the whole enchilada is this, that God is smarter and wiser than I am. Amen. We're like, I didn't understand how complex that was. Because a lot of times we, we like to, we, we get involved when we should have hands off. There is a time to sit, there's a time to talk, there's a time to speak, and there's a time to do nothing. Sometimes the best thing that you can say about a situation is nothing. Because you've already said something. You, you, you remember Jairus when he was waiting for the woman to issue blood and she came up behind and got healed and then Jesus said, who touched me? And his disciples said, well, why, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He says, no, not, not that kind of touch. He said, who touched me? And, and it says the woman feared knowing, well, she wasn't even supposed to be there. Right? right? Her, her blood was polluted. She... Uh, she was carrying something that, in such a way that uh, the law says you're, you're not to be mixed in public, not even with your family. She had nothing left. She spent all that she had, but she heard of Jesus. And she said, I'm going to get a miracle. Jesus didn't tell her to come to the meeting. She went to the meeting expecting to receive something. She said, I mean, I can touch him, but if I could somehow get, could touch his clothes, the hem of his garment, somehow I... Pastor Buzzy used to say it this way. Pastor Buzzy Southern would say, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I can get some of that, whatever's in him, out of his laundry. Because he has something stored up in his laundry. So Jesus said, who, who touched me? She fearing and trembling, it said, he turned and she said, it was me. And he said, woman, it was your faith that made you whole. Go in peace. Your faith, do it. Notice, notice this, some things you don't think about sometimes, but think about it from this perspective. Because church teaches it a whole different way now. We say, well, Lord, if it's your will, heal them. I, I understand that. I grew up in assemblies all my life and still love the assemblies. But everyone that we ever prayed for that way who was serious, they all died. They all died. Because we were saying, if it's your will to heal this one or this one or this one or that one or this one. It was, it was pick and choose all the way and go. And they all died if it was serious. It wasn't until I, I, I got some teaching of the Word where I found out that Jesus never denied anyone. So what we did is we based a theology based on experience. We did this, we tried, it didn't work. We did this, it didn't work. So since we saw hits and misses, wins and losses, we had to come to the, the realization that God wills to do it here. He doesn't will to do it there. He wills to do it here. He doesn't will to do it there. So we say that God can heal anyone He wants to. I'd rather cuss than say that. 
You ever watched the Passion of the Christ? You ever watched Jesus go to the whipping post and say he could if he wanted to? You know, the King James says, by his stripes he was healed. That's not the, that is not a good rendering of that. If you go to the actual Hebrew, it says, by his stripe he was healed. Stripes were, were based on how thick and how wide. And Jesus' wound was so wide, it became a solid stripe. A stripe. To the place that Isaiah 52 said, when they looked at him on the cross, he did not resemble a human anymore. Have you ever seen anyone beaten that way that you can't tell if it's an animal or a person? And then you're going to tell me if God wants to heal someone, he could? Maybe it's something we don't understand that we need to understand. I think that's what it is. Huh? I've seen people healed. I was shocked they were healed. But it wasn't because, it was because of me. You know, there used to be a show called The Weakest Link. And in the chain, that's where it breaks. In a marriage, that's where it breaks. Satan looks for the weakest link of the relationship, and that's where he goes to work at it. And people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So to say that God could do this if he wanted to is absolutely wrong. Michelle and, and uh, Matt's dad, I mean, the, the, I, I, I messed up on that one big time. Because I woke up that morning uh, and... Uh, their mom had just passed a few months before then. Matt was in Peru, really didn't get to come back. He spoke to her on the phone, but never really got to have a conversation with his mom before she passed. And him being the, the youngest or the baby of the, of the group, I mean, that was a hard time for him. Six months later, his dad's dying. Well, I woke up early one morning, <clears throat> and uh, I was woken early one morning, and I heard the, the, the Lord say, come out of your room and come into the study. And he, he, he took me to the parts of the scripture and he said, I want you to ask me for this. You ever had the Lord ask you to ask him for something? Mm -hmm. Sometimes he'll ask you to ask something that you don't even know that you need. But you're going to need it down here. He says, so ask me for his life. Ask me for, for, for length of days. For his family, not for him, he's born again, but for his family. So we, uh, he gave me several scriptures and, and I saw things in a way I'd never saw them before. And so I did that. It was about six o'clock in the morning when I was through. That was on a Wednesday. On a Wednesday afternoon, uh, I was getting ready for church. They called from the, uh, well, you know, well, for those of you who don't know, he had, a, he had a heart attack October the 27th, 28th, and he stayed in the hospital until January the 6th or something the next year. That's a lot of hospital time. Good thing is he never knew he was there. I mean, he, he woke up and it was already the new year. And Auburn had lost, which, you know, I, I was okay with that. But anyway, no, I just can't. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Nathan. <laughs> but, you know, he didn't, he didn't really care about that. But, but he woke up and it was already the next year. And there was some Christmas stuff on his door. But on that Wednesday night, they called from the hospital and they said, we're just telling you to come on. He doesn't have but just a, a little while, maybe just a few hours. <clears throat> and it was, I was here, it's time for church. And I thought, well, I need to go be with Michelle and family. And, uh, I don't know what we did. I said, y'all just had to figure out something to do. I don't know what to go do. So I left and 
I guess people prayed and then they left. So we went to the we went to the the, the uh, Shelby Hospital, and uh, he was of course very critical. And they had oh man, all the gear they had in that room. So you just you couldn't hardly believe, you know, all the stuff that was hooked into him. And uh, they said, well, actually, he's breathing because of the machine and it's doing all the air and it's doing all his oxygen. It doesn't support life. And it's, it's just, there's just nowhere to go, you know. And in that process, and when he had the heart attack, they had to do, what, six or eight bypasses. And they didn't know what happened was there was actually a little tear in the heart and they didn't know that. So after he was in a step-down room after that surgery, uh, Michelle was with him and that night in a step-down uh, hospital, uh, he that hole became a problem and he sneezed, coughed or whatever, and he died again. And that day they lost him six times in one day. So they put you so full of, uh, I don't know what the word for it is. The medical people just look over my ignorance, but, but, uh, the doctor told us, he says, kind of like jet fuel to keep him alive. We've, we've really just coursed his body with, you know, such high levels of, whatever you would call it, to keep him alive. But the problem is because we've done it so much time for so long, we might have, we might have fried his brain, so to speak. We don't even know if, if he'll even be able to, you know, know who he is or know who you are. It may be an unmerciful thing for him to live. So this will happen to him again today. If it happens again, do you want him to be uh, resuscitated or do you want him to pass? Because all this machinery is just keeping him alive. Without this, he'll be gone. As they made their decision to let dad go, you know, we were already at eight bypasses, everything here is like mush, and then you're going to have to resuscitate him. That's just too much to put. He's saved, he's going to go to heaven. I'm up that morning asking for life, and he tells me, and that made no sense to us. I said, no, what, so what was this morning about? You know? You see, sometimes our timetable's off. Right. Sometimes we think we're out of time, but you're not out of time. Lazarus was out of time, but God is holding the ultimate watch, you might say. And so we went there. They made their decision. I was in the waiting room, and uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, what do you call the, oh, well, uh, people who pray. Chaplain, thank you very much. I gotta have some sugar today. I'm just like, this is slowing, broccoli slowing me down. Some chocolate up in here. <laughs> broccoli, huh? Uh, what am I gonna name? Uh, Snickers. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, amen. <clears throat> so he said, you know, uh, and he, he was just trying to be kind. And he says, I remember he saying something to me. He said, you know, you know, sometimes God allows these things to happen. And he's using this for, uh, you know, and other people to get saved. And, and he's, you know, allowed him to go through this, you know, sickness for two or three months uh, and ordained that for his life. But he used him for a greater purpose. He said, you know what I mean? I said, I absolutely don't know what you mean. and don't want to know anything anymore about it. I said, I believe that for 20 years, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of crock. But thank you very much. You said, well, that's mean. Yeah, I was a little tired. I didn't have no chocolate that day. But anyway... <laughs> See, that, that's the stuff that gets you killed. That God might pick you, run you through a, a, you know, a meat grinder to reach someone else. People say, well, God took them. Well, he only took two people. Two people. 
Enoch and who else? Elijah, and they both were alive. If he takes you, he takes you alive. Everyone else he receives. That's pretty scriptural, actually, right? So, you know, if, if you're going 80 miles an hour on, on ice, and if you have an accident because you act like a fool, and the church is going to say, well, God just took them. It was their time. No, the idiot had no business being on the road, much less going 80 on ice. God didn't take nothing. He's trying to say, stay at the house. Yes. Right? But the, oh, God took them. Well, how, how are you ever going to get in faith about anything if you think God orchestrated everything? The worst doctrine that ever came, I mean, and I know I'm, I'm in the South doing this. I know what I'm going to say is not popular, but the worst, the worst doctrine, which is not doctrine that came out of the pulpit anywhere in the world is saying that God is in control. That's right. Yes. That he's sovereign and in control of everything. That makes it real easy for everybody else. Well, you know, God, you know, he's, he's in control. Or, well, if he is, he's got this world in a mess. Do you think heaven's going to be run like, like the earth? He said, pray that what's being done in heaven will be done on earth. In other words, that's why he anointed you and called you to fix this junk. Right? As, as it is in heaven, on earth. On heaven, on earth. So our pattern is what? as in heaven. And he wants heaven to invade earth in you. See, you are supposed to be a carrier of the anointing, the carrier of the power of God. You are to release life out of your words and out of your hands, and you are to change the situation. The anointing is to remove every burden and destroy every yoke it comes in contact with. That would be the will of God. Yes. You say, well, people will never die. Well, don't go silly with the thing. I'm not talking about never dying, but I'm talking about coming to the place where you have finished your course. Right. Yes. You know, why have a, a goal to live to be 120 if you have no anointing to do it? Right. I mean, there needs to be a purpose to go to 120. Because if it's not a purpose and you live to 120, your, your 95-year-old kids are trying to take care of you. That's going to be a mess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> can, can, you know, and if you had your kid when you're 19 or 20, your 100-year-old daughter is going to be trying to take care of a 120-year-old mother. They said, well, 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 we'll get the grandkids involved. Okay, well, he's 80. <laughs> That's a wreck looking for somewhere to happen, ain't it? <laughs> get through and get out. <laughs> huh? This is not even at all nothing to do with my sermon. I mean, I mean, if you were to come read this stuff, you would say nothing in here about this. <laughs> I mean, there, there's nothing in here about this. I mean, this would like me teaching how to raise turnips in anatomy or uh, how to wash an elephant. They, they don't go together. Oh, well. Got notes. Yes, ma'am. So, in verse 2, but in the last days, he has spoken to us by the person of his son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owners of what? All things. Also by and through him he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. This is somebody who is brilliant. Right. Mark Hankins always said this way, the Holy Spirit is a genius. And if you listen to him, you'll look like one. Amen. And if you don't follow him, well, you, well, you won't look like one. <clears throat> Verse 3, Jesus, now watch here. He is the sole expression of the glory of God. He is the light being. He is the outraying of radiance of the divine. 
He is the perfect <clears throat> imprint. He's the very image of God's nature. He upholds and maintains and guides and propels the universe by His mighty word of power. When He by offering Himself accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, He then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, He's still seated. He's still seated. Verse 4, taking a place in rank by which he himself made as much superior to angels as his glorious name title, which he has inherited, is different from and more excellent than theirs. For to which of his angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, establish you in an official sonship revelation with kingly divinity. And again, I will be to him a father and to me a son. So we see here that the prophets had a portion of revelation. A portion of revelation. Jesus is the full expression. He is the, he is the full expression of God. So if you want to know God's thoughts, then you would have to you would have to look you would have to look at Jesus, and you would get a better picture actually in the epistles than you would the gospels, because Jesus came in a time where the where the the law was still intact, and he came really as an Old Testament prophet bringing in a new covenant. So he would say things in the old covenant that he would not say in the new covenant. And we have to understand who he's talking to and what he's talking about and what is the subject under discussion. Because if you take an Old Testament law and you bring it over to the new covenant, which it does not apply, you will come out with the wrong answer every time. Hmm? I hit another one. Because it's just so popular. Divorce and remarriage. Yep. Is God for divorce? No. no. Someone said, well, God hates divorce. That's what the scripture said. Yes. He divorced Israel all the time. Right. <laughs> he said, We separated. Yeah. I'm not even living with y'all. Yeah. He, and he wouldn't give him his text. I mean, you couldn't even text him. <laughs> So we have taken select scriptures out of Matthew that talk about marriage to people who had a hard heart under Moses that God had to give them a law because their heart was hardened and he had to give them a law for their day which does not even apply to you. That's right. See, there, there is no past in you. That's right. So either there was a mistake and there's an X, God doesn't even know there was an X. That's right. There's only today. Right. There's new mercies every, every day. Every day. Every day. So when you talk about my, he doesn't know. All he knows is current. Right. That's called the new covenant of grace, and you ought to love that. Amen. Huh? That doesn't mean you go abuse it. No. Right? So it's better to work it out. Because love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. And the reason why it doesn't work sometimes is you pay attention to it. I'm not happy. You don't do me this way. Do this, do this, do this. But if people was out doing one another in the love of God, yeah. see, lo love would cover a multitude of faults yeah, and mistakes. Yes. It would cover them. So it would say in Matthew <clears throat> that Moses, 
was allowed to give them a written bill of divorce, right? Then it talks about being an adulterer, you know, can't marry unless you marry, you marry this person or you remarry that person. If you marry someone else, you're an adulterer and all that. So we've taken one law and said, if this has ever happened to you, and of course, mainline denominations too, if pastor, you've ever been divorced, you'll never, you'll never be ordained with them. <clears throat> now, that, <clears throat> now, you could rob a bank when you're 20 and young, make a mistake, come out of prison, right? You could shoot someone when you're 21, go to jail for 15 years, come out, be born again, say, filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> wow! Right? Your life's changed. Someone could put you in the pulpit. But God said, but this divorce thing, he said, you out. So he, he's, he's picking and choosing these things. See what I'm saying? You could kill someone and be the pastor 20 years later. But if you let him or her, that's it. And so Jesus kind of blew their mind in the sense of, he said, the law would say, if a man has done this and this, and he was married, he was with someone else, he has committed adultery, you know, and he's, man, it's over. He said, but I say it to you, if you've even looked at another woman and even thought about it, I'd make a few more people guilty. I won't, don't raise your hand, please. Oh, I've never had that thought. Oh, see, so you are dead then, okay. You know, I'm not looking for no one else, but I know what pretty is. Yes. Right? You're not dead. That's right. We had a, uh, he's gone to heaven now. Uh, what was our, our dean's name, Rama? Brian McCone. He was the dean of Rama, and uh, he taught, uh, well, several classes, but even as the dean, he had two or three cl classes that he taught. And he had, uh, he had to pull the assembly together one day, and he said, uh, we've we got to go over the dress code. Because <laughs> in one of his classes, he had three young girls sitting on the front row, and, you know, you know guys, you either had to wear you know, a shirt and tie or a suit, and they had to wear... Uh, uh, their skirts and had to come, you know, to the knee or right below the knee, right there. <clears throat> and that was okay. But they had either, I, I suppose they forgot to put on their undergarments on the front row. So they had on the dress, but nothing underneath. And they're sitting on the front row with a dean. <clears throat> and and uh, he said, now, we can't, uh, I'm going to have to go over the dress codes again. He said, now, I know I'm old, but I ain't dead. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not dead. <laughs> and you think, well, you shouldn't have to go over that Bible school. Well, <clears throat> people, okay? And I, my wife's going to get me when I get home for this. I, can, I know that look. I know that look. I know that look. But this is the way life works. Yes. Huh? Yes. And you don't think you need to instruct people about things? Mm. We've got a whole book of instructions right here. Yes, right. right? So he said, I... Moses, because of the heart is the heart, I, I gave them a, a bill of this or, 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 or a law of divorcement. So Jesus said, if you even look at another person, he said, you've committed adultery. So there's, okay, so we got this law that you're in trouble. This law, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> adultery is a big thing. Divorce is the top of it. I mean, you murder someone's a bad thing, but you, he'll finally get over it. <laughs> affair, you, uh, you have an affair, you, you, you're gone forever. Burn him up! 
Because God paid a lot of attention to that sin, right? Now watch, now watch what I'm saying. But in 1 Corinthians 13, there's nothing in this notes about this. It's, it's, it's like, what was that for yesterday? So anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about the love of God. He says, the love of God pays no attention when someone wrongs you. But it looks like God pays a lot of attention. You do that, God's going to kill you. So it looks like the love of God that tells you not to pay attention to it is paying lots of attention. To a suffered wrong. But he said love covers transgressions and a multitude of sin. Not only sin, but covers a multitude of them. You see, we're not to give people what they deserve. We're to give them what they don't deserve. And what we, none of us deserve, we, none of us deserve the love of God. None of us did. At the cross, everybody was guilty. If we'd have been there, we'd have been with the rest of them. Crucify him. So none of us deserve that kind of love. So Jesus is the sole expression of God. He is the outrageance of God. If you want to know about the love of God, the character of God, the goodness of God, you have to see it in Jesus. But you get a bit better picture of it over in the epistles. See what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, the, uh, it was it'd been explained this way. The Gospels is like the, uh, the uh, you might say, the flesh suit, the outward appearance. But the epistles is all the inward. It would be like the x-ray of a person instead of the seeing them like we see each other. You go for a full body x-ray, you're going to see the skeleton. So the x-ray gives you the inward working. It lets you see the inside. And we're always interested because about ourselves. If you don't believe so, look at a group photograph where you was in it of 20 people. And who are you looking for first? You're looking for yourself. True. So Jesus is the total expression. He's the very imprint of God. So it's, 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 the, it's the character of God, the love of God, and the nature of God, which is, which is the essence of who He is and what He's all about. All of it. It's not just the doing things. It's the, the manifestation of who He truly is and who He is in you and it being expressed. Now, let's uh, go one place and then we'll... we'll uh, Send you on to your glorified chicken. Uh, let me think where this is. Would it help, Lord, if you tell me this today? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, I think. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, John. Let me see if this is right. John 17. So if you've been married and you've been divorced, then you love this person like there's been the only, she's the only person in the world. You learn from mistakes. Hmm? But you move on. I mean, I've had people in 20-something years of ministry want me to about kill someone who got a divorce. See, some people are keeping the letter of the law, but their home is hell. Well, we're not divorced. But you live in divorced. See, 
divorce. Well, let me say this. The reason I don't want to just marry someone because they need someone is because everything about our life, especially marriage, is about covenant. Everything is about covenant. We don't understand covenant very good in the West. In the Eastern cultures, they understand more about that. When you go back and understand covenants and you read about covenants, in the very beginning, people, you know, tribes would come together and the, the little guys who had strengths and wealth would make covenant and wealth with people who were of tall stature. And so if someone's picking on them, they got some big guys to come help them. And they would cut and they would have a ceremony and they'd mingle their blood and they'd walk through blood. And the deal was this, that if, you know, my, our enemies attack us, we got you back and vice versa. And if your money runs low, we, we got you. And so it, it was all about, and it still is, it's all about covenant. Marriage is about covenant. It's not about falling in and out of love. You can lose all your feelings for anyone at any time. Hmm? I mean, don't raise your hand, but if you've been married more than 10, 15, 20 years, you have woke up one morning, looked at the pillow, and, and, and it's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, I wonder what my life would have been like. <laughs> you said, that's awful to say. Hey, I just say what some people want to say. They're not, they don't have the bravest to do it. But you know what I'm saying is true. Huh? Now, I've never had that feeling or whatever, but I'm just saying, but I know people who's had that feeling. Right? I mean, raise your hand if you want to if you've been married. But you've, you said, we, we dated, we know, we know each other. But how, how many you learned out more after you married? How many of there were some things that you didn't know, that you thought you knew them? How many you still learning some things that's coming out? How many find out that you don't change people a whole lot? They are who they are. So what we need to do is we need to make allowances, that's a scripture, for, for each other. In other words, there's just some things that's not going to change about Michelle, and, and there's some things I'm just not going to change. I mean, there's some days that I, I may go that way for a little while to be tolerant of her, but if she's not there, I'm not doing all that. I mean, I know she's there, and her family knows that she's there. Every time we come to the house, we're going to wash our hands. We know that. If we heard that one time, we heard it 10,000 million times. Wash your hand, wash your hand, wash your hand. But I hate to say this, and I'll say it on the north so I don't get in trouble, but sometimes when you ain't there, I go right in the icebox. It's like, yes, yes. And when you've got a chocolate chip cookie, you get that milk, you hug it. Oh! <laughs> yes! The man part of me needs that sometimes. <laughs> Wash your hand. Wash your hand. Wash your hand. But she's probably kept us healthier than by doing that. And, and you know, and when you live with a bunch of critters, <laughs> kids, you know, they don't care what their hands have been in. They don't tell them what you're eating and drinking. But in heaven, there's no germs. So that's over when we get to heaven. That is over. Ain't that right? That's over. Am I, that is right, Amy, right? I mean, we, we do know to wash our hands. We know to wash our hands. Well, so we make allowances. We do this, we do that. Well, that's not going to change. And I don't know. I may have some habits. I don't know. I may have a, I don't know if there's any, but there, there might be a few. No, no, no. Look, our time has got away, and so <laughs> I know what I. Okay, I'll, I have shared this before, but I guess there's one. And my mother said I got it from 
from her dad, uh, which I never knew. But sometimes when I'm doing my hair or shaving, if my hands go up this far, I quit breathing. I don't know why. <laughs> so she looks over and laughs. I says, "Am I doing it again?" She says, "She says you're you're over there struggling to breathe." She goes, like, uh, uh, She said, I'm not preaching for you if you die. <laughs> so she said, put your hands down and breathe. I said, oh, okay. But pretty much I have it together. How many of you men know how the toilet paper is supposed to go on the roll? You pull it straight down, right? Those of you who put it the other way, it pulls out from the bottom of the backside. Stop it. <laughs> It's supposed to come straight down. Right. Is that right? Yes. Can I get an amen? Uh, yes. See that we know that. So you're going to have a whole world of stuff that you're going to like whatever. And it's like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, you'll find out they have different spending habits. You find out some keep the checkbook and some don't even know what one is. Hmm? You know, some goes in a store and they buy things on the impulse. Yes. And then they think about it later when the tears begin to flow. And then there's 14 arguments. That was our biggest thing as we were young. We didn't have no money. And I was frustrated because all my check was spent before I ever got it. You ever know when I explained to you have service and you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I mean, I kind of knew what was going for. I got it. And I got home one day and we was living in a 14 by 70 trailer. We were so happy there <laughs> with three children in a two bedroom. It was so, we were so happy living in the beautiful town of Stanton. It was just wonderful. We could go to the mall, walk around. Oh, that's right, there wasn't. <laughs> and I got home, and there was no money, and the kids were screaming, and I'm 27 years old, and I'm just like, what's for supper? And it was like, you know, like, what is, is that even food? And so I asked her, I said, what are you doing with all my money? I said, you don't know anything about how to manage money. And she got... She cried mad, which is not good. Crying's one thing, mad's another. Cry mad, something's about to happen. And so she said, I said, you don't know anything about how to manage money or how to you know, be a manager of all this money. She says, you never gave me enough to have practice on with. And then I cried mad. <laughs> Combed my hair and passed out. <laughs> <laughs> but see, when we were dating, we weren't doing that. We were just riding down the road holding hands. Oh, I, love, I, I, I hate to take you home. I mean, I mean how many more hours until tomorrow? <laughs> it, it wasn't life. That's not life. It's not life. Just like Bill Gates said years ago to, you know, at a, at a commencement speaker, he said, all this stuff about going to school, you know, nine months of being out three, he said, they ought to abolish it and that'll be year round because that is not how life works. He said, when you go to your first job, say, now, well, now we'll be out when we, you know what, from, uh, you know, from, from May to August? Yeah. <laughs> see, well, you could be out, yeah. right? So it's not how life works. So we need a reality to know how some things work and how we... This is our instruction book. So right, let me get right here and we'll be, we'll be gone. John 17. So this is the night before he's crucified. He said, uh, oh, how am I going to break into this? John 17. 
Uh, verse 20, neither do I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may all be one as thou, Father, and art in me, and I in you, that we may also be, be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, Jesus said, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be one, made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now watch here. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. Now remember in Hebrews, he said, Hebrews, and it said that the prophets knew him. They had a portion of knowledge of him. This one had this truth. That one had that truth. This one had this truth. But they only had a portion, so they didn't have the full picture of him. Jesus is using the word, especially in the book of John, but throughout his Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is introducing God in a way that no one has ever introduced him. He calls him many times Father. No one knows God as Father in the Old Covenant. You, you, you won't find that. So Jesus said, watch here. Oh, he said, oh, righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I have known you, that these have known that thou have sent me. And I have declared unto thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, will you give me those, and we'll stop here, those two last verses in the Amplified. So it may sound a little louder. It's Amplified. Y'all ready? All right. Chicken's on the way. The first batch chicken is terrible. You want the second. Today is Snickers Day. Ice cream day. Nathan has declared it. So let it be written. So let it be done. You watch the old Ten Commandments? Charles Heston. So let it be written. So let it be done. All right, ready? 24, 25, <laughs> 25, I'm going to have dessert first. <laughs> oh, just and righteous father, although the world has not known you huh, and has failed to recognize you and has never acknowledged you, I have known you continually and these men understand and know that you have sent me. Now watch here. I have made your name known to them, and I have revealed your character and your very self, and I will continue to make you known that the love with what you have bestowed upon me may be in them, felt in their hearts, and that I myself be in them. One translation, I was thinking it was amplified, but it wasn't. He says, he says I have come to bring you out to where you can be clearly seen. He says, because no man knows you. And said that to King James. No one knows you. No one in the world has ever known you. That means, that means Abraham did not know you. That means Elisha or Elijah knew some things about you. They had a portion, but they don't even know you. Hmm. No man has ever known you, but I've come to bring you out. So Hebrews says he is the sole expression of God. He is the perfect imprint of God. And so, you know, it's like going to school. You just take a little, 
You don't ever take some onion paper or even just paper. You put a penny, a nickel, a quarter, and you take your pencil and, you know, you trace over it. And what does it do? Copies or it gives you the imprint of that what you're doing. Well, Jesus is the very perfect imprint, the revelation of God, of who he is, of his love towards you, of his goodness towards you, of who he really is, of his kindness towards you. So when you say, well, God, sometimes he heals and sometimes he don't heal and sometimes he does this and sometimes... You know, uh, where I grew up in assemblies, and this is not just assemblies, this is church all over, it's this. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says what? Well, y'all went, went to the same place. <laughs> is that not popular in church statement? Yes. Show of hands. Is, is that a popular statement in church? Yes. <clears throat> what scripture is that? So you, you, you have no scripture for that. That's like saying the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. Is that a scripture? No. How many believe in being clean? Yes. How many want your neighbor clean? Yes. But is it a scripture? No. Where does the scripture say God is a mysterious God? Mm -hmm. hmm? We can't understand everything. What does the scriptures? I thought scripture the, the scriptures of no private interpretation. First Corinthians two says he he wants to reveal spirit to spirit who he is, what you're here for. Why would God give you an assignment and not tell you who he is, much less who you are, right. and keep you in the dark and then judge you based on how well you performed it with nothing to work with? Hmm. See, that's useless doctrine. So what we've done is we've taken life experiences and said, this is how it worked out. Good, well, many people who love God. You know, the church I went to, they all love God. They're going to heaven. They've helped a lot of people. I was born again there. I'm so thankful for that. But we've taken life experiences and we have made a doctrine instead of the word. And Jesus said, no one, no man has ever known him. I'm here to bring him out to where he can be seen. So the woman with issue blood and she got healed. She was breaking the law. By the law standards, she was supposed to be stoned for being in the street. Did you notice that when she got healed, he said, who, who got healed? Or who? Did you notice that she wasn't judged when she got healed? She was healed and not even judged, and she was breaking the law. In other words, God didn't size her up. And determined, okay, let it flow. By faith, she received something of her own desire and of her own faith. She received something. So sometimes we as church people, leaders, we spend too much time working on your morals. We spend too much time working on your etiquette. We spend too much time working on your behavior. And they, those are all good things to have. We spend the least amount of time where we would be most effective, and that is changing the core beliefs of your heart. Yes. How many of you, by choice, unless you was drugged, would not put your hand into an open fire oven? 
You know what I'm talking about? Just like a, like a pit. How, how many by choice would not put your hand in there? Is there any who? No. Thank God. Thank God I did not see those hands. Why would you not? You have a belief about that, right? You don't think it'll go well with you, right? Sounds like pain, doesn't it? Well, you, you believe that in your core beliefs, so you adjust your thinking and your behavior according to your belief. Why don't we take the word and change our hearts? Then our hearts will put in force our actions. We're just saying, you better quit smoking, you better quit drinking, you better quit cussing, and running with those who do. Without ever going to the heart and talk about the heart issues of God, instead of we're talking about the actions. See what I'm saying? That's like even when you discipline children, please don't do it out of anger. And please don't discipline a child with your face to his, or their face with your hand. That's the wrong picture of God. Did God ever slapped you in the face? Right? So if you're going to discipline a child, it's better to cool off if you have to cool off. I used to go a lot of times and take the word and say that the word says this and you, you understand what needs to happen here. Every child's different. Some kids, you know, you can, you know, no one ever took away my stuff and that got to me. Well, I didn't have, there was no cell phones to take away. There wasn't, no, it wasn't nothing to take away. She had to take away outside. She couldn't do that. Because <laughs> if it was outside, you had nothing to do. But I'm talking about the, the, the discipline came and we, when we disciplined, we didn't want to do it out of anger. We wanted to do it from a motivation of love. We taught that if you don't obey, you don't do good, then, then pain can come into your life. And the paddle or the switch was a result of the, of the pain, but when you're older, it'd be a different kind of pain. Not that God's bringing on you, but whatever you sow, that's show, sell, you reap. So we said, I love you, God loves you, but this, this has to be dealt with. You see that? And I would say, you know what daddy needs to do, you're gonna spank me. Yes. And uh, I didn't get a joy out of that, I mean, if you get a joy out of that, there's something wrong with you. That's right, that's right. But sometimes it's necessary. Yes. And God instructs us, and there's times that he disciplines us. The Bible says because he loves you, he instructs you. Because he loves you, he disciplines you. Yes. Right? right? Discipline brings borders into your life. Even when you don't understand them. So that when you're a kid, you know, you've been told, don't run out in the street and catch the ball. So when I'm on my motorcycle, I, I used to drive like they can't see me. I used to do that, which made me a pretty good driver on the road. I don't drive that way no more because there's so many textures on the road and people who's not looking. And I keep my lights on bright. I don't care what it is. And I'm flashing them going through the intersection. But I don't drive like you can't see me no more. I now drive like you are trying to hit me. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a little bit safer, but I don't take long rides because I'm exhausted doing that. <laughs> They're coming for you, boy. Okay. Well, I lose you to your chicken and to me, my Snickers. Hallelujah, my ice cream. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Go tell the story to somebody. Amen. They need to hear it. Yes. Amen.